and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How are you? I'm a little uncomfortable. Oh. Because it's a little warm in here. It's a little warm, yes. I apologize. Also, I'm feeling a little full. Okay. Because as we were just talking about before uh, we hit record. I'm going to say about 25 seconds ago. Yes. Today is National Na- National Nachos Day. Mm-hmm. Or is it Nacho Day? I have to look it up. I want to say it's National Nachos. It's not my day. Nachos Day. And I had uh, some nachos. I went to Sharky's. Makes a, a decent nacho. We're not going to get into all the stuff you and I were just talking about. Yeah. Here's what I want to say about Sharky's nachos, though. They need to work on labeling the your your choices. Because mm-hmm. what they have right now is they have half and full order. Okay. I was, I'm you know, I'm a man. I'm hungry. I went for the full order. Right. I realized what it should be, instead of half and full, it should be regular and way more fucking nachos than anyone ever needs fair enough they gave me essentially like an 18 ounce pizza box full of nachos i felt embarrassed at my desk at work like <laughs> I, I, I ate I people ate walk by who is this monster yeah i could have easily eaten the half order but i got the full order because i thought i don't want a half order yeah uh it's i, I recently went to uh the arc light to see a screening of uh, thor the dark world and letter grade real quick B minus. Okay. And what's your letter grade for the first Thor? B. Okay, so it's a uh, a notch below the I'll, first. I'll Thor. throw this out there without giving any spoilers. So you know, there's like post credit sequences and stuff. Uh huh. A certain actor shows up in one of those that is not in the rest of the film. Okay. I'll say who it is. You can see him. You can find him in the credits. Okay. It's Benicio del Toro. Shows up as a character that has not been in any of the movies so far. Oh, because he's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. Which I learned at Comic. Oh, okay. Uh, his, I don't know, minute uh-huh. was infinitely more interesting than anything that I had seen previously. Like it was, I'm so excited. Man, you get a good actor in any of these who's like excited to do something. Oh, so much fun. That's neither here nor there. So I, uh, so I went to the ArcLight, and they have they have two sizes for popcorn. They've got like a little cup, which uh-huh. they call a small. No, they call it regular, pardon me. Uh-huh. And then they got large, which is, I don't know, three times as large. Uh-huh. So it's just like, well, I want more than the cup, but I don't want that. This is why the term medium was invented. Yeah. And it just bothered the hell out of me because it's just like, hey, do you want a cup well, or a big hassle? Yeah. But, well, here's the thing. Uh, uh, like the word medium doesn't mean anything anymore. No, it doesn't. If I go to Jack in the Box and get and I ask for a medium Coke... I get a fucking bucket of Coke. Oh, it's yeah. insane. Oh yeah. Well, and when so I, I can't even, I, I, I like, I wish at a drive-thru I could be like, can you show me, show me the sizes? <laughs> because I, I've, I've been trained to know that I want a medium soda, but when yeah. I pull up and I need two hands to pull it into the fucking car, it, that's not a medium. Oh, go to Wendy's, get yourself a small. You will be astounded by which I mean disgusted. Um, I mean, I like Wendy's and everything, but part of me is like, like I asked for a medium once and I, I rue that day. It was a, it was one of the worst mistakes of my life. Uh, and since then I just get a, I just get a small, it's like when they put the brontosaur ribs on Fred Flintstone's car. (laughs) Oh, all right. So, um, okay. We have things to talk about. We sure do. Uh, first things first. Uh, oh yeah. We want to talk about your, oh no, let's talk about, um, blockbuster first end of an era yes yeah i'm gonna throw to you because i'm gonna because you have more relationship with blockbuster i yes um have uh i I honestly could 
count on my two hands the number of times I've actually rented anything from a blockbuster in okay. my life. I didn't. Um, when I was a kid, we rented from the grocery store video counter because yeah. it was cheaper. And then once I had a driver's license and was able to do do it myself, I wanted to because I am who I am. I wanted to find a mom and pop video store, and I rented from Star Video in Valley Park, Missouri, at which I would later work. It was my first video store job. And then I went to you know places like Nationwide Video in Chicago, where I also mm-hmm. worked. So I, I I I think I did get a Blockbuster membership when I moved to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and used it uh, a few times, but again, I lived closer to a video hut, and that's where I went because it was, uh, it was you know mom and pop, and it was uh, it had more criteria and stuff. But most of the video huts are closed too, if not all of them now. There's one on Van Owen that I think shares space with like a cell phone place, or maybe a yogurt place, or yeah, maybe I want to say there's still one in Santa Monica and Bronson, yeah. uh, which was one of my old ones. But anyway, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's so I don't have any i saw on twitter a lot of sort of nostalgic or emotional reactions to the closing of a blockbuster but i have i have no real connection to that i am in fact i was always annoyed as a kid that when you rented a blockbuster you didn't get the cover art that always annoyed me they changed that eventually they did yeah okay um in fact i was uh when i worked at blockbuster for three years uh one of my big projects uh was to just systematically change the cover art over and uh, and I always liked that because I could do it in street clothes while listening to my iPod. Oh. So um, and thus not be bothered by people. Um, and so that's, uh, that's that's the dream. It's that's what we're all working toward every day. <laughs> yeah, is to someday make enough money that we don't have to be bothered by people anymore. Exactly. I mean, it worked for <laughs> Daniel Plainview uh-huh. and uh, Norma Desmond. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, what could go wrong? A friend of mine uh, went as Norma Desmond for Halloween. Awesome. It, it looked great. Oh, did she have the cigarette holder? Like the thing that like... I can't remember. Uh, makes it hover above your hand, basically? Uh, yeah, I can't I don't think she had that, but oh, I, will, I will find a picture to show you. It's, not, it's kind of a grainy picture. I can't wait to see it. That sounds kind of interesting. So, I don't know why I say kind of. I mean, very interesting. Um yeah, I uh, I actually did not rent at a Blockbuster until I was probably 10, 11. Like, I don't think I remember renting at one until I lived in Denver. And even then, we did Mom and Pop, and then a Blockbuster came in mm-hmm. to Parker, Colorado, which is where I lived, on the outskirts of Denver. And and I was kind of excited, but yeah, I preferred, you know, the, the Mom and Pop places. Uh, I didn't have anything against Blockbuster. They did have a better selection in some cases. Um, and then I... And then I worked there for a few years. Uh, but I w- what I will say is I'm upset that it's uh, – I'm sad that it's gone. And a lot of people are like, ah, fuck Blockbuster. They, they put a lot of mom and pop stores out of business. And that's true. I'm more upset about what Blockbuster represents. Blockbuster is, you know, I, I occasionally while taking a break and if I did not bring a book with me while I worked there, I would mm-hmm. read their uh, – you know, read the, the market – the, the industry uh, magazine that got sent out like once a week. Yeah. And um, they would... What was it called? Was it called like Video Store Magazine? Uh, like it was that? something like that. I, see, I, I seem to recall the word market was in there somewhere. Turn on the right now. That is, a, that is a, a pretty awesome Norma Desmond. That's, yeah. that's great. Um, Standing there with Prince and a skeleton. As you know, she would have done. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah... Uh, I've I've uh, lost my train of thought. So oh yeah, so they would refer to the magazine would call to block uh, refer to Blockbuster as Big Blue uh, because blue obviously is the color of Blockbuster, but also it was the biggest one. It was huge, 
and so it's almost like that idea of like, okay, well, if Blockbuster goes, it, it'll be the last one, right. you know, the last yeah, yeah. chain to go. There are still mom and pop places that are still around. Um, but like th- th- it is like official. And th- when I saw that there are only 300 locations left, that astounded me. I thought there were a few more. I thought there were like 500. Um, there are none uh, as of fairly recently within the city limits of Los Angeles. The one at Wilshire and La Brea closed fairly recently. Okay. In the county, there's a, there's a few, including um, there's one on Bur- Buena, in, Buena Vista and Burbank. Boulevard, in Burbank, yeah. yeah. And then there's one on Sepul- Sepulveda and Devonshire okay. right up by me. But um, and this is interesting to almost no one. Almost no one. But well, it should be interesting because we just we were able to identify where two blockbusters are. <laughs> like that's kind of a rare thing. And in the old days, it would just be oh, blockbuster. It's everywhere, you know. And uh, so, but it's it's a weird thing. And I'm more just sad about video stores being gone. And I've been sad about it for a while. But now the blockbuster is gone. It's like okay, video stores are gone now and they played I'm not such, sad about it by the way it's just okay i can't think of a way of saying this without sounding cheesy and stand by me-esque but um i mean and and any number of film lovers can re- relate to this my first film school was at a movie it was at a video store and it was you would just go you would be surrounded by movies and you would just explore. I would be there for like an hour. See, I think that's the difference between you and me, is that I would read about movies, decide what I wanted to go rent, and would go look for things, and then get frustrated if they weren't there. Oh. So that's that's how I, that was my relationship to video stores, was it was one of almost trepidation, like, I hope they have what I want, or else I'm going to have to go somewhere else, or When I was a around. kid, that was the case. It's like, oh, I wanted Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, uh, Secret of the Ooze. Whereas, whereas when I was, when I became, like, a film lover, uh, which is, uh, you know, 13, 14, when I, because I would start reading about, like, what are considered the best movies and stuff, but, like, it was at a video store that I stumbled onto Dr. Strangelove. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. The cover looked interesting. And that so is I how I that. found Maltese Barton Fal- Fink. Yeah, Maltese Falcon, same way. And and yeah, Barton Fink, your favorite movie. Yeah. And just, and that's, that experience is over and it is unfortunate. You know, the, the you know, the younger generation now, like they're used to doing stuff online and that's, that's fine. You know, they'll have their own experience, but this was mine. And okay. But uh, to be devil's advocate and also I kind of believe this, like, the, there are there are you know Netflix has your algorithms and stuff to like recommend stuff to you, but also you still have we have uh, social media now, so we know what our friends are watching, we know what's out there, we're hearing if we want to be, we're hearing about all kinds of different movies we've never heard about all the time, and now we get we can go s- seek those out at, on on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or whatever. It's like the the world is our video store now. I guess so. Except the thing is this, none of my friends were watching American Buffalo. None of my friends were watching Mother Night. None of my friends were watching, you know, any of these other things. Like, I found them completely on my own. That's because you were a kid before Facebook. Now, people who are cinephiles like you and me, because you and I have the same, I I think we have the same childhood as budding cinephiles, where, Mm -hmm. where we weren't like, like, it wasn't like there was a group, we weren't like in a group of cinephile buddies where we right. talk about movies it was pretty much us yes. like uh I don't, I don't mean you and me because we didn't know each other then like it was, we were on our own yes uh and i don't know that that um 
will happen anymore. Maybe there's something to mourn there that there's something that I, maybe I think about movies the way I do because they were such a solitary experience for me. And I still, despite the fact that I do a podcast and talk about movies, I still largely yeah. treat them as a solitary, uh, non-communal, um, art form. Uh, but I get what I'm, all I'm saying is that this thing where you wouldn't have heard about these movies, that's not the case anymore because when a kid's 11 years old and decides that, um, he's, uh, interested in, uh, he realizes that, oh, Edgar Wright directed three of these movies that I love. He can go down a rabbit hole, you know, that that, that wasn't available to us now. There, there are pluses and minuses. And one of, the thing for, one of the things for me is, and this goes, this could go to technology in general, is what you want and what you know you want is like the order of the day. And that's fine. I'm all in favor of it. But there's something about going to and, – and you and I experience it differently. Going to a video store and seeing what jumps out at you and you literally have heard nothing about it. When I saw, when I saw Barton Fink, I didn't really have a concept of who the Coen brothers were. And I'm sure you no, didn't, no, either. didn't either. Yeah. You know, like you just went into this thing. And while it's amazing to uh, say, I saw this movie, I'm going to look up things about it. Oh, it's this director. Now I'll look for this. And eventually you arrive there no matter what. But in those in those early days, it was it really was an adventure. I would go to the video store not knowing what I was going to get. I rented M just because I had heard about like I'd seen Peter Laurie and Maltese Falcon. I didn't know who Fritz Lang was, mm-hmm. and just it sounded interesting to me. And it but was now just you could if you had seen if kids seen Maltese Falcon, he can go to IMDb and say what else was this guy in? I know and find but it like, that way. But it's, there's something about I don't know. I think. Uh, uh, I hate to keep pushing against you here, but I just, uh, you know, my feelings on nostalgia that right. it is in most cases akin to death, the death of creative thinking and okay. the, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's stagnant and I don't mm-hmm. like it. Um, so maybe that's why I'm pushing against yeah. you. And you know, my thoughts on the free market, you know, uh, let it burn. No subsidies for blockbuster. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I am, I'm a bit torn myself. Um, but it's just, but I'm saying I'm not torn. I'm, you uh, hate these things. I, I am, uh, I embrace, now I don't think that I'm ready to go full streaming yet. I think I, cause I, I I don't want Netflix to get rid of the physical discs, but that's not because I like, but they're going to need physical discs. I just think it's not there yet. The availability of streaming isn't at the saturation of uh things that are on disc and also the quality of stuff you stream isn't as high uh quality as 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 blu-ray disc but it'll get there and then i won't care anymore but for now i want to hold on to my discs i think for the same reason that um and eventually you know hey i have not rented at a blockbuster in a while i've got netflix i've got hulu i use redbox like and occasionally you rented at a blockbuster i can tell you what mine was it was more recent than you'd think mine was uh the hobbit oh that was a while ago Wait, that was not. That was very recent. Yeah, so, and yeah, okay, that was way more recent than I would have thought. Yeah, mine was, I guess, about three years ago. It was the Tillman story. Oh, okay, yeah. I couldn't find it at Redbox, which is where I wanted yeah. to get it because Redbox is easy, and I could go there at six thirty in the morning and go to work or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, the um, yeah, the blockbuster at uh, Lancashire and Camarillo, which is now a petco a petco yeah but it's not petco it's like petco has like a boutique brand now yeah yeah it's like a petco express or something but it's but it's not it's like it's like petco for like it's like you feel like you're at some sort of upscale like 
bourgeois petco. It's very classier dog. Yeah, I think it's called like Unleashed or something like that. That sounds correct. Yes. Uh, anyway, that's what that blockbuster is now. And yeah, Tillman Story. So that was I think 2010. That was the last thing I. Maybe it was 2011. Yeah. So I've I've gone somewhat recently. It was partially because I was so excited that there was a blockbuster near me, and it was such a novelty that Jen and I were like, let's go do this. Um, and it was also that's the thing is. And you know what? We wound up with late, with late fees on it because I didn't want to drive all the way up there. You know, so don't get me wrong. Like I'm I'm all f- I'm all for progress, and I understand why it happened. But there is just in the same way that uh, like Christmas shopping, or you know, for somebody like myself who collects things like a Riddler or something like that. Um, I remember living in Springfield, and I would be looking for a specific CD or a specific uh, DVD, or you know, going even further back, a specific VHS, and in some cases, I would call ahead, but sometimes like, okay, well, there are five places it could be, and they're within about two miles of each other. So I will just go from one place to another, and I will look for it. And there was, and then when you found it, there was something kind of rewarding about that. Oh, right, but also now we're adults with jobs and stuff. Like, I don't have an afternoon to go around looking for oh. one thing. Like, I, yeah, I enjoyed that. I've because got my I days enjoyed, off. Yeah. I enjoyed the solo journey of being in the car all day because, you know, listening to what I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I I enjoyed that at the time, but there's no way I could do that now. I'd be I'd be so pissed if I had to do that now, you know. Like I I have a routine. Like every morning, every Saturday morning, I get up, I grab some breakfast, I go to the post office, I go to the dry cleaner, I go to the gas station, and I go to two different grocery stores to get the things that I need. And I'm back home in like an hour and a half. Uh, just in time it, to just hold that gun in your mouth and think, <laughs> this is what my life is now. Uh, because I, I don't need to be driving around all day. I've got shit to do, usually. Right. And, hey, when Chris, like when Christmas shopping comes along, it's like, all right, Amazon, what do we got? I will now look at my wife's Amazon wish list, and I will mm-hmm. go from that. You know, it's – I mean, I guess all we're right. talking about larger things, but there is something – just for me, like, it was going to a video store, Blockbuster or otherwise, was a very immersive experience. It was a fun thing that I could do, sometimes alone, sometimes with friends, like – you know, if my friends were going to be spending the night or something like that, my mom, before we could drive, you know, we, she would take us to Blockbuster. We would walk around, we would settle on, you know, one or two things and then we would come home and it was just like, it was, it was a very, it was an exciting thing for me. And that, even though you can immerse yourself in movies online, mm-hmm. what you can also, it's like, all right, I will now, uh, hide that window and it's back to pornography for me which is uh, which is ultimately where we all land um and so it's maybe i was just in this regard i was just made for these times because i remember even when i worked at a mom and pop video store mm-hmm. in the mid 2000s in uh chicago right and there was complaints from the boss my coworkers like how oh, netflix is really going to put us out of business and then i signed up for netflix and i was like this is fucking awesome i'm oh, never yeah. going to a video store that if, unless i have to again uh mm. and that was my feeling immediately um let's i want to say this is completely off topic but i want to tell you the thing i forgot my experience about renting the tillman story okay it was right after i got my first blue my only uh so far blu-ray player so i went there and i picked it up with the new release ball and i said to the employee do you know if this is in blu-ray and he laughed at me because <laughs> <laughs> i think they were probably only getting i don't know if the tillman story is available in blu-ray but they were probably yeah. only getting like the big blockbuster not blockbuster you know yeah, yeah. the big ticket releases on blu-ray yeah. uh, in the in the last days of that particular blockbuster at Lancashire and camarillo oh and i will say this and i was also very sad when hollywood video uh went went bankrupt and, and all that uh but i will say this uh <laughs> 
my sadness has not kept me from being an absolute vulture when those stores close. Like I will go and I will pick the, I will pick the meat off the bones and be like, oh, there's these Blu-rays, these DVDs and Blu-rays are so cheap. But the thing about buying Blu-rays, this this annoys me, and probably not most sane people. But I bet a lot of movie nerds who listen to this podcast are annoyed in the same way. Mm-hmm. I don't like buying the used Blu-rays from Blockbuster. Because they're not in the right size case. They're in a DVD case. Ah, uh, yes, but... That drives you, me nuts. If you buy Blu-ray cases uh, in bulk, as I do, <laughs> uh, then you can... You can cut them and reformat them? You don't have to cut them. Here's what Don't they is. print them with that blue? They don't. That is something behind the cover. Oh, so it's just the cover. Yeah, you can just slide the cover out. No problem. Do you know, um, if you miss Hollywood video, okay. you can go stare at a facade of one... I feel like I'm staring at one right now. Uh, but you know where the Wiltern is at Wilshire yeah. and Western, because that's how things are named in Los Angeles, based on the intersection that they are at. It's crazy how many things that you don't even realize. They're just yeah. like, oh, the Sandfax Shopping Center. Oh, it's Santa Monica and Fairfax. <laughs> they all name... So anyway, there's a theater called the Wiltern, and on its, uh, I guess, um, the, 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 the wall behind it, there... It used to be connected to a Hollywood video, which is now like a cinema makeup store or whatever. Mm. But it still has the big Hollywood video sign yeah. looming over uh, Western uh, Western Avenue there, just south of Wilshire. At uh, at a Hollywood video where I would go to buy uh, previewed movies, uh, which is near that uh, round table that I go to um, in Burbank, uh, which is, and it is that is currently a uh, the former Hollywood is now a uh, Fresh and Easy Express. But when they closed, uh, you know, they still had their uh, overnight drop slot, you know, uh-huh. and uh, someone had taped it shut and someone had written on it. That's a wrap. <laughs> and that was like surprisingly poignant to me. Really? Yeah. Maybe I'm just if I'm in the right mood. That would be, that would get me. Yeah. Right now, it seems kind of silly. It is silly. But, <laughs> but the I thing like that it. got me is like, like it. you know who does that? Someone who actually liked this job, uh-huh. you know, and somebody maybe who liked this this chain or or whatever. But it just struck me as like, oh. And then I remember like, ah, oh, people being put out of being put out of work. That is unfortunate. Yeah. So, all right. Um, now let's. Uh, I want. There's something else you've been wanting to talk about for weeks. Something I've been wanting to talk about for weeks, real quick, is tweakedaudio.com. I don't know if I've mentioned it. I know I've mentioned it off mic to you, Tyler. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if I've told the listener about tweakedaudio.com. If not, listener, you you should listen up. This is yeah. pretty good. Pull, I'm tired of being the only one to know. Yeah, scoot your chair closer to the to the to the speaker, um, and listen up. Tweaked Audio. That's T W E A K E D Audio.com is where you go, where you should go. Uh, if you're not going there, you ought to for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and brilliant colors. Oh, nice. Uh, and if you go to tweakedaudio.com, and if you don't stop there, if you go, if you decide to go the extra mile, mm-hmm. it, 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 instead of hitting enter after the dot com, you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, mm-hmm. you get everything I just said. You, the, the same, the same selection, the same variety, all the same colors yeah. are there, but you pay one third less and you don't have to pay the shipping card charges. Yeah. And it helps us. If you listen to us, us yeah, I assume. That's something we should say. I'm not just saying this because the earbuds are awesome, though they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm saying it because uh, it helps us. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We get uh, 25% of, uh, of every sale. So um, it really does help us. And people have – it has 
it has paid off in a way that I did not expect it to. And so thank thank all of you for I want to thank all of you for uh being supportive in you know, that way. But you and know, you still get something out of it, obviously. It's a quality you know? it's a quality yeah. product. Absolutely. I stand by it. Absolutely. Um mutual benefit you know, mutual benefit. Yeah. Um now, if you wanted uh, weeks ago we talked about um a thing that you do that maybe I will hopefully participate in next year. We'll see. Yeah. Um if I can make it I I, I considered doing it this year, but I I couldn't be present for the draft itself. Yeah, and that's the one thing you really need to be present for. Because I went to Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. Um, to- Totem. Oh. Every Cirque du Soleil show has a name, mm-hmm. and every Cirque du, Soleil, Cirque du Soleil show name is pronounced differently than it looks. Because <laughs> it looks like, oh, I know the word Iris. Oh, no. It's Iris. Ugh. And, well, <laughs> you don't have to be annoyed by the French language. I can, but, and I just uh, was. So this one, you look at the sign, you go, oh, the new Cirque du Soleil show is called Totem. Totem, nope. yeah. Totem. Mm. All right. Um, I couldn't go to the draft because I was at Totem. Yeah. Uh, it was a great time. I'd recommend seeing the show. But uh, we, we, uh, I, we we talked about some of what you were hoping to get right. uh, on your fantasy Oscar team, or fantasy awards team. You call it the fantasy Oscar draft for for brevity, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, to get to the point. But it's for all the awards, all the, yes. uh, the Guild Awards and the Critics Awards and yes. other such things. Um, so let's talk about what you got in your main categories. Okay. Hold so, on, let me, let's do it the same way we did it before. Okay. I'm going to hold, hold the, the sheet. Well, I will set the... Yeah, uh, jump around here. I'll set the stage a little bit uh, and say that uh, the people partaking this year mm-hmm. are obviously me. Mm-hmm. Friend of the show, Jason Eakin. Heard of him. Friend of the show, Josh Long. Know him. Friend of the show, Scott Nye. Approve of him. Uh, let's see. A friend of my other show named Reed Lackey. And Can't then, uh, yeah, I don't think I can either, to be honest with you. This guy is he's a little slippery. Um, and then we have a friend named Dan, who will hear this, and he will be so excited to hear his name. And then <laughs> another guy named Tyler, uh, which uh, bothered me. So he doesn't bother me. The fact that his name is Tyler bothers me. Um, but yeah, and uh, nobody got... You know, I got a couple of my first picks. I think everybody got one or two of their first picks. Uh, and in some cases, I would get, you know, my sixth or seventh. You know, okay. it's about it's about weighing it. Well, let's start with best editing. Best editing. What I don't totally have these memorized. I think okay. I wound up with uh, Captain Phillips. Yeah, seems like a good... Was that your first choice? My first choice is Gravity, okay. um, as it was for most people. But uh, Captain Phillips was my second choice, and I think I'm going to do okay with that. And it should be noted, you get points for nominations as well as wins. Okay, so, okay. So, yeah, I think Captain Phillips is a, is a, is a good one. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where should I go next? Let's go with Best Cinematography. What did I go you with? You went with for, Rush. I went with Rush. That's right. That was a, uh, honestly, that was like a fourth or fifth choice. I've heard good things about the movie from a technical standpoint. It mm-hmm. was being mentioned on the list of possible nominees for cinematography. Okay. Um, so I went with that, yes. Uh, I, I'm going to break in here and say that I saw um, a film called Prisoners. Yeah. Which I uh, wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Um, did you see it? I did not. I wanted okay. to. I don't know. It's It's two and a half hours long. It's really grim and bleak, and it's not worth it at the end. Oh, all right. It sort of had the thing that you and I, my problem with the Dragon Tattoo movie is that I felt like I was watching a mostly, obviously there's plot, there's a mystery here in yeah. both cases, but I felt like I was watching a character-driven piece that at the end I felt like I was blindsided. Like, oh, this is the movie I was watching? This like is essentially... It's like Mystic River in that way, where 
they're telling an interesting character story, and then they're like, oh, right, this is based on a book that you buy at the airport. <laughs> like, that kind of right. thing. Right. Yeah. So the end of, by the end of, like, it's a, it's a bleak, but well done movie for two and a half hours in the last half hour it's essentially like the screenplay that um the twin brother wrote in adaptation the three <laughs> uh but anyway uh what i wanted to say is roger deacon shot prisoners and it is really really great looking nobody snatched him up so when the time comes mm-hmm. for uh trades yeah i i may i may trade up um all right uh all right i'm sick of jumping around uh i'm gonna go with um best best o screenplay i'm assuming that's going to tim blake nelson for yes, the film o absolutely <laughs> that is a nice pull well done <laughs> well done uh best o screenplay i this was unfortunately my fourth or fifth choice um i went with uh nicole holof center is that how you say that yep for enough said I don't think it's a bad... Uh, it's not a bad choice, bad especially because we incorporate Indie Spirit Awards into mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might get me some stuff. But uh, but yeah, it's... I mean, she's the she's the writer-director type who would get nominated for, for this sort of thing. Yes. All right. Um, best picture? Uh, I went with... I think... I think this could do all right. It's not a front-runner by any stretch, but I went with uh, Nebraska. Okay. It was my, like... Again, fifth or sixth choice. Um, I'm seeing it next week, so I'll let you know what I think. Oh, wait. You're seeing it, too. Oh, boy. We'll both be there. Tyler, have we ever been to the same? Well, we went to see the Avengers together. Yeah, but we specifically went together. Yeah. I don't think we've ever, like, independently ended up at the same press screening together. Right. That's fun. Oh, boy. Um, Best actor. Uh, I got my second choice, which was Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips. I think that will do well for me. Yeah, uh, I'd vote for him. Best director? I got David O. Russell for American Hustle. I don't like that that rhymes. <laughs> bothers the hell out of me. I like that movie ten times more. Than, <laughs> no, maybe ten. I like that movie four times more than I did before because I now realize that the movie rhymes with the director's name. Oh, yeah. I think that'll do pretty well. Certainly nominations-wise, I think that'll do pretty well. And it could be cons- – people could consider it to be his turn this year. Right. What did you get for your catch-all? Uh, I got gravity. I think that's a good, that was my first choice. That's a good get. That is a good get. Yeah. Um, all right. What haven't we said yet? Let's you go can always with... tell, you can always tell if you got a good one whenever, when you say it and everyone's like, ah, oh. <laughs> and I, I said it once or twice when other people said stuff. So it's the way it goes. Uh, best adapted screenplay or a screenplay. I went with, I don't know how if this is, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but, uh, August Osage County, Osage uh, I was gonna. I, I would say Osage, but I don't know. Osage, if that's, right. that's possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, based on a play, a Pulitzer Prize-winning play, I believe. Um, and uh, did not get that movie, though. Uh, getting some awards buzz, did not get a lot of love from our predictions. So uh, I think it got that, and uh, somebody went with uh, supporting actress for Margot Martindale. Hmm. But that was about it. Okay. Um, um, we're down to just a few acting categories left so let's mm-hmm. blow through them best actress i went with uh, my number one kate blanchett that's that is the that was clearly number one on everybody and oh, a high good. priority for everyone because everyone was like oh and that is the one that is going to get me the most things all right uh best supporting actor uh i, I got like my fifth choice but he's very much in the running uh, I had to. I basically flipped a coin between John Goodman for Inside Lewin Davis uh-huh. and Daniel Bruhl 
for Rush. Yeah. And I went and I wound up with uh, Daniel Bruhl. Yeah, there's a lot of talk. A lot yeah. of talk. Um and finally, I almost said the uh best supporting actress. I got Oprah Winfrey, who was my first choice, but it's interesting as time has gone on because she was considered the front runner. As time has gone on, that's starting to slip a little bit. Now it's interesting. It, it remains to be seen if she'll even be nominated. So, who's, so, her, who's her competition? Uh, supporting actors Lu- is always Lu- really Lupita Nyongo yeah. from Twelve Years a Slave, who is indeed quite wonderful, um, and she's getting a lot of the buzz these days. That's just one. That's just one, and I'm then saying, if you're thinking, if you're saying she's not going to get nominated, you got to name okay. five. All right, Jennifer Lawrence for Catch David O'Russell's American Hustle, oh. um, and then man, I don't remember the other ones. Oh, Margot Martindale, June Squibb for Nebraska uh, okay. is popping well, up. Margot Martindale for what? Uh, uh, August uh, Osage County. Oh, okay. Um, she's on. Uh, she was on that show that got canceled, <laughs> right? The Millers. Yeah, was that her? Did that get canceled? I thought it got canceled. I mean, based on the the ad that I saw today, it looks like it's going strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe oh well. But uh, but yeah. So no, it's she can be in other things at the same time. I I just didn't. I thought maybe you were on the impression that she was going to get nominated for an Oscar for a TV show. I thought maybe you didn't know how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try and make a Grammy joke, but I can't think of one. So uh, so yeah, that's my uh, that's the situation. Uh, the very first nominations that are going to pop up will be the indie spirit awards uh and that'll that be in, right? that'll be in a couple weeks and then when are the golden globe nominations december i believe and then the golden globes are in january right um and i will say that like once like once this happens like once it starts it's a freaking deluge or deluge however you want to say it yeah, uh and, and because then it's just like almost every day there's a, another critics awards why is there such a long lead between independent spirit award nominations and the ceremony i don't know it's a long time it, it really is and i feel like they're i don't know i feel like they're trying to subvert something because that's what they are you know because they, they're, they're, they're trying they're to give people a chance to see the films that's true that's very true and maybe they don't want to be like swallowed up by just you know oscars golden globes and mm-hmm. all this other stuff maybe they want to yeah and yeah that you know what that's probably the the reason is because some of the movie you know they'll nominate stuff like silver Lightning's playbook but they'll also right. nominate smaller things and maybe it's like all right we want to give these a boost right i mean like when it when people you know, like you and i have known about drinking buddies for months because yeah. that's a big and that's almost certainly i would i'm not a good at prognosticator but i'll bet drinking buddies get something from the independent spirit it awards, could yeah because uh, there's a lot of talk but you know, a lot of the voter, voters for the Independent Spirit Awards might not have had a chance to see it. Yeah. Or even be aware of it. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good uh, uh, pretty good guess as to why they why they go first. But um, And I'm not sure, perhaps, uh, as, perhaps in like a month, uh, once there have been some significant nominations and some uh, Critics Awards, perhaps I will update everybody on how I am doing. Oh, that'll be fun. If they're interested. Uh, it'll be fun for me. Um, listeners, if you don't think it'll be fun, keep it to yourself. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about something that I, now I came up with this topic. Was it on air? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Because I think, I don't remember what movie caused it. You know, earlier today I had it in my, in my mind, what movie it was that caused it. And now I cannot freaking remember what it was. Hmm. I knew how I was, I I knew how I was going to get into the topic today. Oh, okay. 
Ah, oh, Jiminy Christmas. Why can't I think? <laughs> you just said freaking and Jiminy Christmas. What is going on with you today? Uh, I, I, I don't what know. What the fuck is going on with you today? <laughs> oh, you know what? We were actually talking about television. Okay. Which is how, because we were talking about how on my former TV podcast, I have a TV podcast now. It's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. You it's very good. It. Yeah, thank you. You should check it out. Uh, it's going well. Um, but I had a former TV podcast called Previously On, and we did... Um, I think it's still available on iTunes, a three-part, six-and-a-half-hour rundown of every episode of The Sopranos. We started wow. at the beginning, and went through, we did it in three different parts, and they're a little over two hours each. Um, it took us a long time, and it was a lot of fun. But I also remember being very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do it like... You, I don't know. Anyway. Um, but... Uh, and one thing that Sean and I used to say, I think Sean was the first to say, but I agreed, is that Sopranos is a show that everyone agrees is great, but is still somehow underrated by by a yeah. lot of people. Because uh, by in our, I mean, obviously that's an opinion, not a fact. Yeah. But uh, in my opinion, The Sopranos is the greatest thing that ever happened on television. I mean, it's not my personal favorite, but it is the it, it is as objectively as I can be about this. Mm-hmm. The Sopranos is the greatest television show ever. Yeah. Um. And so it can never, like, so I feel like when people say that The Sopranos is good, I'm like, no, you don't get it. Yeah, I've had that, I've had that where it's just, and it's not, this episode, we really run the risk of coming off quite elitist, Uh, which I've, you know what, as I was making my list, I'm comfortable with that. I've Uh made my peace with it. Um, But that is kind of how it comes off. That is, that is often what I say is like, if somebody, somebody could say, oh, this thing is very good. I really like it. And it's just like really good no 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 you don't get it this thing is great what are you yeah. talking about like yeah they don't running around in circles yeah it's like why aren't you quitting your job and devoting your life <laughs> to spreading the gospel of this thing uh-huh. you know the sopranos is a great example like the like the fact that people say it is merely great uh-huh. and not life-altering yeah. or the best it's like, not only life-altering it is medium-altering yeah oh absolutely it's like like the Sopranos is like the, uh, uh, and I, I'm iffy here because I don't really follow basketball, but from what I understand, Sopranos is the Michael Jordan of, ba- of, of television. Fair enough. Like, the game is different yes. because of The Sopranos. It is the Ty Cobb of, uh, Look, of basketball. I mean, I, the characters are racist. I don't know if the show was racist. Oh, okay. That's what Ty Cobb did, right? He, yeah, yeah. He introduced racism to baseball. Yeah, he was a really was energetic no He was a really energetic fan <laughs> who uh was just really racist and then became kind of a mascot. Okay. Um and so what this is but I don't know. I, I think we could do it without being elitist, but if you want to be elitist, obviously you can be. I probably will be. I think it's more about what like what things mean to us. Uh, you know, and and I think it's interesting that we, uh, or it's, um, I don't know, it's uh, fortuitous that we were just talking about video stores and, and sort of our childhood and, and not having other, like, movie friends. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, I, I'm just reminded of this. Did you read uh, Mindy Kaling's book, uh, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? No. It's really great. Okay. You should read it. And she has this thing that, like, uh, that, that she talks about uh, uh, being, like, a junior high, middle school age kid. Um, that she thinks a lot of comedy nerds probably experience. Like everyone loves comedy. Mm-hmm. Like uh, no one, no one hates comedy. That's yeah. like I, I'm sure there are people, but pe- people love comedy. But there's a certain po- like thing that she thinks every like 12 or 13 year old who 
turns out to be a common nerd experiences where you still want to keep talking about how great that Monty Python sketch was or that Saturday Night Live sketch and your friends have moved on. Uh, and so I think that that's probably, it was probably very true of, of you and me, um, as kids with, with movies, you know, as much as I rag on them now, the star Wars movies were, uh, formative for me. No, very much so. Um, and I, and I, and I could watch movies over and over again in a way that like sometimes my friends didn't get, you know, going a little older than when I saw star Wars the day. And this was a, a blockbuster rental i think it was definitely a video store rental. i met him in a blockbuster rental that my friend uh rented um the day i saw dazed and confused for the first time i saw it four, i watched it four times in one day mm-hmm. because i was so blown away by this movie that i think uh like it was uh, four times in a 24 hour like in a calendar day because it was yeah. like after midnight i was i was sleeping in my friend's house and he, he was, like, hang out he, i guess <laughs> yes um his older sister had rented the movie, so it was after midnight that we watched it, and then he fell asleep, and I was like, I'm fucking watching this again. Yeah. And then um, I watched it again, and then I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I asked him if I could borrow it and bring it back so he could get it back the next day, and I went home and watched it two more times, uh, you know, in that same calendar day. There's, and I there's think only that's a handful sort of, of movies that, that I've done that with. One was Glengarry Glen Ross, not four times in a row, but it was like, okay, that's done. I guess I'll just push this rewind button here and uh <laughs> off we and off we go again and uh barton frank barton fink was another one oddly enough uh, you know what the last because now i don't do that anymore and maybe i should but i think i'm and maybe this is netflix on the internet and has made me so aware of just how many movies there are that i haven't seen yeah. that i can't justify doing that anymore yeah the last movie and it's been more than 10 years the last movie that i did that i watched on video and rewound and watched again was the way of the gun, which I think very much fits into this category of movies that I feel like I get more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, do you feel, cause you didn't like the way of the gun as much as I did at first. Not at first. I, I've, it, I've come around on it. Um, cause I watched it again. Not that, not that long ago. And, uh, it's, it, it, it gets better and richer to me every time that I see it. And I, and I just like, I'm not saying that it's as good a movie as there there will be blood, but like right. my experience can be of the way of the gun can be so it's always great, but it can be so drastically different depending on my mood or what time of day or all these like other things that go into it. It's uh, it, it, it's such a like beautiful movie to me, and that's a I'm intentionally ironically using the word beautiful because it's actually a very ugly movie in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, but uh, you know, you know, I I, I think. Um, the way of the gun could be easy to dismiss as uh, like subconsciously ominous or pretentious or pretentious at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's a, there's a cleverness to what it's doing in that it will sort of uh, pull you in with something that seems like this means something. There's something important here. Yeah. And then it'll undercut it with a joke where it's like, "Now nah, I'm just fucking with you. It's just a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it does that like over and over again throughout the movie where you're like, wait, is he saying something here? Is this, is, is there, is there a rich theme to this scene? And you start to play out like actual themes. And then Christopher McQuarrie always wants to go like, and eh, maybe I'm just messing around. Uh, and I really like that approach. Um, cause I think he does it without, uh, diminishing the things that the movie does mean. Yeah. Uh, but also without ever forgetting that uh, it's just a movie. We're having fun. Yeah, it's it's a movie that, it, like I said, as time has gone on, I think because I, I just couldn't 
I could not lock on to its tone yeah. the first time I saw it. And then as time has gone on, I've seen more movies with varying tone. In fact, I find it quite refreshing to see that. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, you and I, t- you had seen it before I did. Yeah. Because um, we had talked, you and I had both liked the trailer of it, mm-hmm. I think. Or the TV spot. I don't know if you've watched that trailer now. It's so dated. There's like Limp Biscuit music in it. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but there's the part where, uh, uh, I almost said Ryan Gosling. Ryan Phillippe mm-hmm. is, um, you know, jumping, like shooting his guns or whatever. And he jumps into the dry, like, uh, fountain in the middle of the courtyard. Yeah. And in the, in the trailer, he just jumps in and you hear him go, ow. Yeah. You and hear like then, a crunch and you're like, ow. And you're like, haha, that's <laughs> funny. In the movie. The next shot is him pulling a huge shard of glass out of his arm. Yeah. And he's got a bunch of, like, it's really gross. Yeah. They treat it like a silly cartoon thing. And then uh-huh. it's like, real life consequences. What yeah. do you think of that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, I was sitting here, I had such a busy day at work. I was like, I'm going to have trouble coming up with examples of this thing that I feel very strongly about. And I feel like I knocked out of the park with the first one. The way oh, of the that's, gun that's is the exactly one. what I'm talking that about. That is the one for you. No question about it. And the one for me is, of course, Ang Lee's Hulk. <laughs> uh, that is one that everyone is stupid. Everyone else is stupid. All right. Except me. Uh-huh. Got it worked out. Just going to lean right into the uh, right into the elitism. <laughs> now, it's, this is one where it's like, I understand why people are frustrated by it. In many ways, it is in many ways, it's dumb. If anything, it feels like at times uh, an experiment got gone wrong because you feel like Ang Lee is trying to do something and explore certain aspects of character while also really embracing a certain style of filmmaking uh, and trying to embrace the comic book nature of it by having you know panels and frames and just but embracing the motion picture aspect of it as well. So from a technical standpoint i love it um from a thematic standpoint i respect it quite a bit from a narrative standpoint that's when you get into a little bit of trouble Mm -hmm. because you have a character who his whole goal is to be the most boring person you've ever met that's what he (laughs) wants to be um it's not unlike any you know werewolf movie where they don't want to be the thing that we all went to see the movie for Uh you know and so you you find yourself rooting against what they want, even though you're on their side. It's a very, it's, you know, even I at times, and I think Eric Bannon does a really good job, and I think the character is written well, but it's just, it's almost like, it's going to sound strange, it's almost like Hunger Games, where I wanted it to be more violent, but because of the nature of what it is, it can't be. But I feel like it needs to be. So mm-hmm. it's just like, now I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, and so with, with, the, uh, with the movie Hulk, I think... It, it just lives within this tension of what it is, what is expected of it, but also him, I think, genuinely exploring the emotional impact of what this is on the characters. It's And to a lesser extent, they did it with uh, uh, The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton, like exploring like what it would be to live like this. Saw. It's not bad. It's, it's, it has its moments, certainly. Uh, but like what it is to live in is in such a way that if you get if you get angry think how often you and i get angry i get angry a lot i get angry a lot yeah and now imagine every time you do that every time you're angry you destroy everything and you become a danger to your loved ones you know like that's a very like there are real ramifications for that mm-hmm. and so angley's trying to explore that but of course everybody including me uh when you first watch you're like come on Hulk smash. Like (laughs) we all know why we came here, but 
that's the thing is so i feel like he's trying to subvert your expectations while also fulfilling them he's trying to explore uh what it is to be this character while also being a character who has a great deal of rage inside of him because of the life that he's lived or more specifically the life that was thrust upon him and so it's not, it certainly is not a perfect movie it does it it does kind of change tone from time to time and of course the the visual effects while still very good i mean the hulk effect still is just he's a little t- maybe just a little too vibrant green like mm-hmm. it's it's hard to accept him in in that world and i feel like you know uh, the avengers did it pretty well um and you know it's he's batshit crazy but i think nick nolte is turning in a very committed in every sense of the word uh performance yeah. and it's just you know and people are like oh the but, but the, like the gamma mutated dogs like yeah it's silly and ridiculous but have you ever read comic books they're often silly and ridiculous. Also, like, have you ever read a Hulk comic? Good God. Like, they're all basically, okay, now he's but, fighting this big thing. I don't know. I'll be um, a devil's advocate to that specific point okay. again, um, which is uh, it's not about that there's a there's a, an acceptable level of silliness because it's a comic movie. It's mm. how well does the film pull off that atmosphere you know it's sort of, and I we talked it, last year about breaking bad mm-hmm. which there are things that have never sat well with you yes that have more with me because i get into more of the atmosphere although there are some things that i uh what, what get bothered got bothered by in breaking bad but uh it, so I, I i don't think if i say like oh the dogs and hulk are silly uh it's not because i think no movie can ever do that because it's too silly right it's just that he didn't pull it off. And actually, I think he pulled it off very well. I think that sequence is actually frightening. I think we see Hulk actually get, you know, hurt. I think he is in danger. Um, most of the most of the arguments that I ha- that I hear against it are just the fact of them. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, one of them is like this poodle looking thing. It's like it's kind of silly, but it also makes it genuinely frightening when this uh-huh. poodle looking thing actually is large and scary. and It's got the sharp teeth and all that. So, and also, I mean, that's the thing is people will write off Hulk pretty easily. And I understand why they do, but at the very least, like, I feel like everybody can look at what he is doing. He was, he's basically making a motion comic before they made motion comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to embrace, like there's one little sequence that I remember where we see Nick Nolte and he's basically looking right at the camera and then the framing moves to just basically zoom in just on his eyes and it's just a horizontal frame of his eyes and then that whole thing moves up and then you see all these other things happening. You see the, the character being moved. You see uh, Bruce Banner being brought in. You see the military and throughout it all, Nick Nolte's eyes just hovering above, just staring straight at you like this ever-present menace just as though he is ever present in his son's life Mm -hmm. just like stuff like that is i think it may not be the most successful movie but damn if if freaking ang lee is not working you know like and so it's just it's a film that i enjoy but i also respect a great deal and you know what Uh, i get it (laughs) um to bring it back to the title uh, i want to talk um moving on from specific movies i want there's a couple of filmmakers i want to talk about good call and this is this could almost be an episode um on its own which is um filmmakers that i was into before it was cool because <laughs> i feel like a um after the hurt locker and zero dark 30 it's 
very cool to like Catherine Bigelow's films. Right. Um, and I, so it's maybe a little less uh, unexpected, but not as, not that unexpected for me to say that Point Break belongs in the top five action movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Maybe top three. It's probably like, uh, or at least top, top top three American action movies are probably Die Hard, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Point Break, in my opinion. Um, Terminator 2 has got to be in there somewhere. I don't know. I That's a damn good action movie. Do you know, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up, because I would have agreed with you until I rewatched Terminator 2, or, or most of it, recently, and I found out, and, and I realized that the stuff about Terminator 2 that's really corny mm-hmm. bothers me, whereas Point Break, which is totally corny, yeah. doesn't, and I started thinking about why, and I think that... Because uh, James Cameron is totally committed to the corniness and doesn't know it's corny? Uh, maybe that's part of it, but I think the emotion, the emotions that are being gotten at in Terminator 2 are, aren't, it's not that they're, there's not, not, not including him, include, I'm not accusing him of being cynical or false or whatever, but that it's not that deep what's going on there in the emotional story, I don't think. He tends not to tell very deep emotional <laughs> but, stories. And yet I find a lot of depth in Avatar, and that could be um, a big part of this episode. You know, we could go either way of saying, like, we're being elitist, or this just speaks to us because of our personal experience. And I very yeah, much yeah. feel like my reaction to Avatar is something about me that I need to, like, you know... Um, it, it it really it really works for me and like it's something that i don't know that i need to fix it but uh it might be more than just me thinking it's good filmmaking though i do anyway what i'm saying is uh as <clears throat> as corny as the surface stuff is in point break uh, the 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 dialogue is uh really hokey uh and all this stuff the the underlying story about friendship, male friendship in particular, but really de- the development of a friendship yeah. uh, is, I think, actually incredibly nuanced. And I, and I think a lot of that has to do with Patrick Swayze's performance being uh, one of his, if not his best. Um, yeah. uh, but I, I but I think the, the fact that there's so many quotable but quotably cheesy lines in Point Break um, makes people overlook the fact that it's actually kind of a touching uh kind of a romance you know the hot fuzz like sort of made fun of that you know yeah. he can't shoot him because he loves him so much yeah uh, but that really is the story that we're telling it really is uh it, it follows the same beats as a story that's about like a budding romance yeah if it, in many ways it feels like out of sight uh-huh. i mean think about <laughs> yeah, it yeah, like right true. down to the cops got the gun on the guy and yeah. then in one way or another cannot kill him yeah yeah that's that's true um so that's Catherine bigelow and i like her you know blue steel is also a great uh film that not enough people uh, i think have seen um or at least not enough people our age it seems to have been kind of a mm-hmm. forgotten have you ever seen it blue steel uh jamie lee curtis, jamie lee right? curtis and ron, ron silver yeah i saw it on i think i saw it on tv when i because uh, he's like a like a passerby or something like that who finds yeah. the gun finds a gun okay and here's the thing turns into like a supervillain essentially <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go ahead i remember that uh-huh. and uh that's about all i've got so yeah. i'm gonna go ahead and say no okay it's a good movie uh and the other one it's not that he's made something he not that he, he's made films that have broken through the way that a hurt locker or zero dark 30 has but i think the fact that he's been away from filmmaking for so long has allowed people to um reevaluate joe dante 
uh, who, you know, I think when I was, I guess, 10 years ago uh, or, or more, you know, when I was talking about how great Small Soldiers is or how much I was looking forward to Looney Tunes back in action, mm-hmm. uh, it was it, uh, even among other people who were into movies, it seemed people would sort of laugh about that. Yeah. Uh, but now I think because simply because he hasn't done anything except for the, he made a couple of those, um, uh, Showtime masters of horror, uh, uh, standalone hour thing. The first mm-hmm. one is really good. The second one is not that great. Um, but because he's been away from it, people uh, have allowed to love themselves to grow into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, realizing that he, uh, is an auteur and always has been. Uh, and I think, I mean, you recently revisited, uh, the Gremlins, yes, uh, franchise films. Yeah, we watched it for movie night. I was not able to be there for the first one, but I was there for Gremlins Two: The New Batch, which I've seen fewer times than the first one, so it worked out fine. And it's the one you got to see. It is a work of, I would venture to say, genius. I think it's amazing, and it is probably the purest Joe Dante film that's ever been made. That's about yes. Um, he ma- it, although he Looney Tunes back, back in Action comes close. I was going to say good. he he made that because he couldn't at the time make Looney Tunes back <laughs> in Action, so he came as close as he could. Yeah, and I hope more more people because I still feel like that one doesn't get the respect it deserves because I feel like. Uh, I guess because it's part of this historical franchise of Looney Tunes that it, people equate, equate it with that. Space, and Space Jam. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which it was actually, that script, I don't know if you know, <clears throat> was written years before it came out to be a follow-up to Space Jam hmm. called Spy Jam. And the Brendan Fraser character was supposed to be played by Jackie Chan. Interesting. That was uh, that was what it was developed for. And Joe Dante finally got it. Because Joe Dante is, if you know anything about him, he's crazy nuts about the new tunes. It's yes. one of his favorite things in the world. And he's also crazy in hatred with space jam he despises that movie so much because he thinks it's an insult to everything that makes looney tunes looney tunes uh and so he got his hands on on what was originally spy jam and turned it into the you know uh uh i'm just trying to th- i'm trying to think of the latin phrase but the uh just the looney tunes movie to beat all looney tunes movies oh, okay <laughs> there's a word there's a phrase that i'm looking for but I, i'm too full and it's too hot and i don't speak latin um you don't speak latin come on <laughs> david um <clears throat> but uh you know i one of the reasons i um i always I, 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 since i moved to chicago when i moved to chicago i was a big fan of jonathan rosenbaum as a critic mm-hmm. um but then when looney tunes back in action came out that's when i realized that he is as uh, much of a Joe Dante um, worshiper as I am, because mm-hmm. he wrote a huge, like not just a review, a huge thing about Looney Tunes back in action when it came out. And you can still find it on the internet. It's really great because it ends up being about his whole career, kind of like how he turned, he did that long Dead Man review and then expanded on it and turned it into a book about Jim Jarmusch. Right. He could have expanded on this and turned it into a book about Joe Dante. It's the same sort of approach as his Dead Man review. Do you think people have? Because you and I, I mean, you, you've liked Joe Dante, Joe Dante, like, as a filmmaker even longer than I have, because I liked his movies, but did not, like, I liked his movies when I was a kid, uh-huh. or when I was younger, and did not equate all of them as like, oh, well, these are all done by the same guy, and these, I, so I guess that means he's great, right? Uh-huh. Uh, like, I arrived at that a little bit later, um, and... So you and I have been aware of him for a while. Do you think, by and large, do you think 
film fans, like even like online film fans, like our listeners, like well, are they aware of him? Online genre fans are okay because of he's involved in the trailersfromhell.com, which is a oh, okay. a, a, a thing. Um, so I think those people know him because he's um, he's known as as much of a geek himself as yeah. as an, as an auteur. But yeah, I don't know if he's being taught in film schools the way that he should be. Yeah. Um, that that reminds me. Uh, so I, I mentioned that Jonathan Rosenbaum thing. Who he? Uh, uh, I, I, I I don't know if Jonathan Rosenbaum ever wrote about the um, about Homecoming, which was the first uh, Showtime Masters of Horror that Joe Dante did, um, which was about um, uh, it was a zombie story about people who had been, Americans who had been killed in combat coming back to war to vote out the president, who <laughs> essentially vote out bush because right. uh, it was made during the bush administration um uh so it's a horror comedy but um jonathan rosebaum contended in that thing about joe dante that joe dante's best films were the ones that dealt with war and the ones that he mentioned specifically were small soldiers yeah matinee mm-hmm. and then one i've never seen called the second civil war i haven't seen that um which i think was actually made for tv and has james cromwell in it uh, i've i've never seen it i don't know how available it is i really would like to see that mm-hmm. uh but yeah, I, I I'm trying to think when I like first realized that oh all these things that I like matinee, inner space, the burbs, the Gremlins movies are all by the same director. I'm not sure when it clicked for me. Yeah, uh, but it it did at a certain point. I think maybe when I was and first... inner space is critically underrated. It's an awesome movie. Yeah, oh, it's lots of fun, and I think it won the Oscar that year for visual effects. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I want to. Uh, I was going to talk about a, a filmmaker that I that I oh. feel like I get, but I will actually not. I'll just well, say it's Tom McCarthy, and then I'll move on. Can I mention one more filmmaker? Sure. Uh, in general, um, it, which is John Dahl. Oh yeah, uh, you and I are both big fans. Yeah, of, yeah. I think even before, even though Red Rock West came out first, you and I would have both seen Joyride first, and. Oh, it's on your list. Oh, good. We can talk about Joyride because I think mm-hmm. it was something you and I bonded all over pretty early on in our movie friendship that we were both yeah. like, that's a great movie, right? Like, it seems like this disposable teen, like Paul Walker and Lisa Sobieski. Yeah, that's thriller. when you and I, I think you rented it just kind of on a whim. I don't think you uh-huh. even really, you're just like, oh, I'll give that a try. You were watching everything at the time. You were watching yeah. freaking Torque. And so, like, Joyride, what's, that's just I think one that more. Was before, yeah. Okay. But I th- yeah, I, I watched Joyride at the same time I watched probably Osmosis Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's probably about right um and yeah and so i think i, I remember like, watching yeah, what... osmosis jones training day and waking life like in the same week <laughs> i watched waking life with you i remember and did i watch training day with you as well yeah that's a, that's a sore subject on your part no that's, uh, that's fine i'm i'm not uh upset <laughs> okay anyway so uh but yeah and so that's kind of that's that's sort of a, an example of what we're what we're talking about is you know and people can still uh on netflix and stuff watch instant they can still like pick something on a whim uh-huh. um but yeah. there is something to be said of like you pick something out at the video store you go home well it's the only one you have uh-huh. so what are you not going to watch it right you know right, right. you're committed now yeah as opposed to you get 10 minutes and someone's like all right well there are literally thousands more right now that i could watch so i'll stop watching this thing so, um, but Joyride was, yes, this was both of our entrees into the work of John Dahl. Yes. Yes. Um, and it is a film that I've been thinking about for the last few weeks because of that, uh, top 50 horror list. And while it certainly is a thriller with suspense, there are major horror elements to it. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe one person, maybe two people submitted it 
and part of me is like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> Joyride. It's amazing. Candy Cane yeah. and Rusty Nail and freaking uh, Ted Levine's awesome yeah. voice. Also, just... get the DVD because uh, one of my favorite commentaries ever, <laughs> Steve Zahn. Because uh, it's one of those ones where it's like, it's Paul Walker and Steve Zahn and Lily Sobieski, but they're all like recorded separately. Yeah. So yeah. it cuts back and forth. Yeah. So Steve Zahn in the middle of talking about the movie catches Paul Walker on screen sucking in his cheeks to make his face look thinner. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's sucking. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then also Steve Zahn explaining why the movie is rated R and not PG-13 because if a semi-truck is chasing you through a cornfield, you're not going to go, oh, golly, gee willikers. Oh, geez, we better get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good commentary. And just and I remember him being like, oh, oh, Paul. Oh, Paul. And he's, like, he yeah. starts talking to Paul, though he's not in the room. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just a really, it's, it's everything that like a horror movie I feel like should be. It's fun. It's genuinely threatening. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's also not that high of a body count really. Yeah. Um, it, it, there doesn't need to be like, if the threat is that really you just not, you just really need to kill just one person. And, uh, yeah. if that, I mean, duel doesn't have a body count either. And it's a very similar type of film. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that, um, John Dahl excels at is a, is a kind of, lean filmmaking you yeah know? oh i mean freaking uh joyride looks ornate compared to some of his other movies yeah yeah um and yeah and so and i guess we'll talk very briefly about red rock red rock west which i feel like people have seen it uh, yeah it, and people like it people yeah, if this you've isn't seen like it, you've a, liked, it isn't like yeah. a way of the gun where a lot of people detracted it's yeah people who have seen red rock west know that it's great yeah um and then he he made a movie a few years ago Called uh, "You Kill Me" with uh, Ben see. Kingsley as a as a hitman. It's a comedy, and it, and it actually works pretty pretty well. I mean, it's a comedy, but like with kind of an underlying melancholy to it, and that's a very stripped down movie. And it's just, and I didn't see the Great Raid. He made that, right? Yeah, he made that one. I always get confused with Hearts War, but the Great Raid because they came out about the same time, roughly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't see the Great Raid, but he also he's become uh, a TV director and yeah. did a, he did a lot of Dexter. Um, and that's the uh, it seems like there's a number there's a number of like uh genre like film directors that you see show up on the these sort of acclaimed shows Brad Anderson mm-hmm. um who did Session 9 which we talked about and uh The Vanishing on 7th Street and he did a bunch of bunch of movies um non horror stuff too but he's done uh yeah he's also done a lot of TV a lot of Treme and uh some great episodes of Fringe now, so, okay, John Dahl, I want to be careful because we're talking about like, oh, we get this, not to imply that other people don't. Like John Dahl, like we said, you see Red Rock West, you'll like it. Yeah. And I think, I honestly think that if you see Joyride, you'll like it as well. I just don't think a lot of people have seen it. Um, yeah, maybe that Paul Walker, Lily Sobieski thing turned people off back in 2000, yeah. 2001. Maybe. But now all the movie geeks have come around on Paul Walker, right? Because of Fast and the Furious? Or is he the person they don't care about in those movies no i think i, I haven't I, seen any of if anything i think ones. he's neutral i don't mm-hmm. think he scares people away from a movie that looks interesting if anything lily sobieski should scare you away because it just i just don't care for her um Doesn't and her, she seem and her like, commentary was just the worst she's like i don't want to be mean but she does seem like every girl you knew in drama club <laughs> oh yeah oh i can i can name that girl but i'm not but i'm not going to um, and, and you know what she's older now. Maybe she's grown out of that. It it makes sense that she would. But, um, 
But yeah, and so uh, so if you haven't seen Joyride, watch it because I do think there's nothing there's nothing to get or not get. Not to imply that there's nothing there, but that's one where it's just like you'll just enjoy it. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. Um, so I will, uh, as I said, the filmmaker that I feel like I get, and he's somebody that people enjoy, is Tom McCarthy, and he's a guy that uh, I was talking with friends of the show, Jason Aiken and Scott Nye, and both of them were very dismissive of uh, Win Win. Saying like, well, you know, it's nothing you haven't seen before. It's like, yeah, but a lot of movies are nothing you haven't seen before. Mm. It's how good is it? And I feel like it's a brilliantly written film, a very well acted film. And I think all of his movies are that. And just the way that he makes movies about like these makeshift families, it's very touching without ever being like treacly or sentimental. In fact, he often undercuts that, but without being too subversive about it, like not calling it, not being like, I'm not into that shit, man. It's Uh not that he just doesn't force it artificially. So Tom McCarthy is a filmmaker that I love. Uh, He made the visitor, which is my favorite movie of 2008. Um, But I'll move on uh, because you mentioned Point Break and you mentioned the corniness of it uh, and how that turned some people off. Uh And that immediately caused me to think of a movie that when I first saw it, I don't think I liked it, but there was something there. I'm like, I I, I think the problem's with me. And uh, it's a movie that since then you and I have become defenders of. And that is, of course, Starship Troopers, uh, which is a movie that that some people like. uh, Yeah, a lot of people have come around. But there are a lot of critics that do not careful oh, we had laramie legal in here just uh, a couple months ago talking about how he we talked to him about it how he didn't like Starship he didn't Troopers. Li- that's right that's right and that is incorrect <laughs> now, I, I again i recognize i've said it before i recognize he's just stating his opinion but he is incorrect um starship troopers like just the and the more movies i watch like from the 40s the more like war films i watch i mean you took a war propaganda uh war propaganda class yeah so I feel like you, more so than anybody I know, are qualified to talk about Starship Troopers because it it has that propaganda propagandistic feel to yeah. it. Yeah, there a lot of those things are um specifically, I think, inspired by the Frank Capra Why We Fight series, mm-hmm. um, which I watched some of in that in that class, because they are sort of uh neutral documentary type style. Yeah. Uh but uh, I don't know what else you want me to say. Well, and that. just and just to have that style, that ex- that um, heightened, exaggerated style of dialogue, style of acting, um, and just the emotional beats that they're hitting, to have that in the midst of one of the most violent movies I've ever seen, uh-huh. and not just not just guns shooting. I mean, people getting ripped in half, just gory, awful violence. Yeah, it's like it's unsettling, and it. And I feel like it has something to say about that. Like underneath this propaganda that's very pro your country or whatever, this is what it is underneath. And it's not a very pretty picture. It's It, it, it fascinates me because Starship Troopers adopts that tone kind of ironically. A few years later, Pearl Harbor comes along <laughs> and does it for reals. and um, uh, But then doesn't commit even to the violence. You know, um, I mentioned... Uh... Why we fight the Frank Capra stuff? Um, the the military also had had a number of filmmakers make uh, you know known filmmakers make uh, documentaries about the war, and it was meant to be propaganda. Uh, the one who deci- the one of them who decided to just make an actual documentary about World War II was John Huston, who made one in color called mm-hmm. "The Battle of San Pietro," which uh, is I think is fairly available. Um, People should totally check that out because it's almost like what you're talking about. Like the Frank Capra version is the propaganda, you yeah. know, uh, we're winning and we just have to, you have to keep, you know, 
uh, buying war bonds and, yeah, you know, rah-rah, yeah. that sort of stuff. And then the Battle of San Pietro is just like, it's scary, it's grimy, it's sad. Hmm. Uh, it's it's everything that, that or not everything, but it's a lot closer to um, uh, what I imagine war would actually be like. Yeah, and it's just, and I mean, I know a lot of people that just, including me, when I first saw it, but when I first saw it, I was 15. I don't think I was quite ready for the juxtaposition of that uh-huh. extreme violence and that tone. But I think it took one more viewing for me to be like, this might be a, a work of genius. Yeah. Uh, I, You know what, David? I get it. <laughs> um, and Paul Verhoeven's another one who has um, come around to being respectable, I think, for a lot of people. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to go back and see what the reviews were of of uh, RoboCop when it came out. If it was as respected then as it is now, I don't think it was respected. I think people found it entertaining, and I think they, a lot of the stuff worked for them. But I don't think it was, you know, widely praised. I think it was merely like, "Oh, that's this is good." Yeah, you know. Um, but a lot of these movies are talking about, um, you know, Days and Confused was not uh, a huge critical success yeah. uh, when it came out. Um, I mean. You and I like to talk about Wet, Wet Hot American Summer, which is like something like a twenty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes if you look it up. Uh, but that's like I think that's something that maybe at the time you and I felt like we get this and nobody else does. But it sort of became a generational thing. A lot of people our age uh, view Wet Hot American Summer as a sort of touchstone. Yeah. And I think it was people who have our tastes. Sorry. And I think it was just ahead of the curve as far as comedy goes. You know, comedy caught up to that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, with the you know absurd like man yeah, yeah yeah oh absolutely um okay so uh i know that we probably should start uh winding down a little bit well, so yeah. well i'll, I'll uh no you go ahead because i just talked so do you have some, do you have uh more to say i have like, one more okay that everyone knows so it's not going to take me very long but it's the the hangover trilogy uh okay well something that i think is uh important important works of art well we'll get to that in a second uh because i don't feel like listening to it at the moment (laughs) um but yeah i will uh i've got a big list here and i won't go through all of them uh i'll say one that you and i both like uh called mars attacks and that's a movie that uh, and i'm mentioning it because you can chime in on it um that's one that everybody even associated with it distances themselves from it i remember uh what was it in 90 in 98 when Nicholson was nominated and would eventually win for as good as it gets uh, in the opening, you know, number that Billy Crystal was singing, you know, of course he's going to be singing about it as good as it gets. And so he comes in and he comes down and is singing about as good as it uh-huh. gets and is talking to Jack Nicholson. And there, I remember there being a specific lyric in which he just says, forget about Mars attacks. Uh-huh. And I'm like, the hell are you talking about forget <laughs> about mars attacks what like and just what are you talking about billy chris i i am sorry they can't all be my giant um <laughs> that reminds me there was a um like a, a a press junket or something for shark tale in during which jack black apologized for the movie envy now envy is not a good movie yeah but i was like you're at a press event for fucking shark tale yeah like you you're not on a, you're not up on a, a day. You're not getting a Nobel Prize here. Yeah. When you Michael Caine won his Golden Globe for Little Voice, a good uh, movie that he's great in, uh-huh. and he makes reference to a lot of the crap that he was in, and I'm fairly certain people immediately thought of Jaws the Revenge. Fair enough. Uh-huh. It's like, you're now doing good stuff. He even says, like, I've done a lot of crap, but now I can do the good stuff. And so 
he's Michael Caine, so he can do that. But also, he had just won for a good movie where he delivered a good performance. So it's like, right. by all means, now y- you can distance yourself. Uh, but I yeah. forgot how, where we got, Sorry. how we got into this. Um, Did you ever see Envy? I didn't. It's an odd movie. It's not very good. Yeah. Who directed that? Barry Levinson. That's, yeah. He's an, he's a director we should profile sometime. Cause Tough he to pin is, down. He is, <laughs> that is the way to describe it. Because when he's on, he's on. And he is not always on. <laughs> Um, yeah, Mars Attacks, one of the things that I just didn't understand at the time, even though I still responded to the movie, but I didn't understand what it was based on. I didn't know it was based on these trading cards. And it, you look at the trading cards. You look, have you looked at any of the, like, the images from the old? No, I haven't. I believe it was Topps, okay. Topps uh, Mars Attacks trading cards. It's just vi- – it's gleeful. It's about just killing people, just <laughs> destroying them, you know, like – People on fire, people being taken apart, like everything that you see in the movie, uh-huh. uh, and they just put it into one movie, and it's just about how Mars just destroys Earth, and it's fun, and it's it's it. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the stories that you and I wrote, you know, uh-huh. when we were when we were younger, and I think the Mars Attacks trading cards they were for boys that were I'd say were ten years old, uh-huh. you know, and where you just like you just want to see gore and you're, and this is how you could see it. And Tim Burton wanted to do that. He just wanted it to be goofy and over the top, which is what those cards are. Um, and he wanted it to, he wanted to, an all-star cast of people that die uh-huh. also because at the time, I mean, it's, you know, independence day had something of an all-star cast with an ensemble quality to it. So he wanted to evoke that right. and also probably evoke towering inferno and airport and all that kind of thing but also have it be as silly as can be and over the top and violent and ridiculously so. Yeah. You know, I mean, there I are things that again, there are things that disturbed me when I first saw it, like the idea that you get shot and y- your skin, your organs and your muscle just go away. And all that's left is a skeleton. And I remember at the time thinking like, Oh man, what if that happened to a loved one of mine? Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember being very disturbed by the yeah, movie. But horses on fire. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's cattle. Come on, oh, cattle. Uh, a whole herd of cattle. It's been a while. Um, but yeah, and just so it is disturbing. It's disturbing to me as an adult. But I'm sure at age ten, I wasn't asking that question. It is a movie made for ten. No, 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 older not, than that. No, no, no. I mean, like when I was ten years old, if I had seen that movie oh, when see. I was ten, I, I would not be thinking about oh, what you know, what if this happened to a loved one? It just it embraces that instinct that so few movies do which is just carnage, just anarchy and nihilism and joy. And I, boy, oh boy, Mars attacks. Wow. Good stuff. That, those last few words there are a great way to get into my Todd Phillips hangover thing, which, uh, now, you know, a lot of people like the first hangover, but, uh, they dismiss, it's sort of like what I was saying with the point break thing is that it gets dismissed for its surface things. And I understand, like, your, the complaints about Hangover t- Part 2 being just a lazy retread plot-wise of the first one, completely valid. Yeah. But the first one has shock humor, like, Zach Galifianakis makes the baby look like he's masturbating, and, and, and like, stuff that you're like, oh, that's wrong, or whatever. Yeah. The second one has a fucking, like, a teenager's finger getting cut off, a pig carcass being splattered across Ed Helms' face, <laughs> um... <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think. There, there's something else I was going to say before I get to. Uh, oh yeah, a monkey smokes cigarettes and then gets shot. They shoot a monkey, and then 
the fucking the 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 thing at the end. You know, you've never seen The Hangover Part Two. No, just but you've the seen first. the first one. Yeah. So you know how it ends with the pictures of their trip. Yeah. The second one also ends that way. One of the pictures is just for fun. Ed Helms and um, Ken Jeong's not Ed Helms, uh, Bradley Cooper and Ken Jeong's char- character reenacting the famous photo of the Viet Cong office officer executing the yeah. man in yeah. the public square. Like that's horrifying. That's not funny at all. Except it's so amazing that he put that in this like two hundred yeah. million dollar blockbuster movie. Uh, and I th- and and like uh, yeah. So okay, the second one's not as funny as the first one. I totally agree. But it's 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 grimier and it's more mean spirited and it's angrier uh, and it's darker and it's grosser and uh, it it really feels like Todd Phillips coming into his own. And the third one is uh also pretty angry but not as it's not as gross the the third one but it does have a lot uh, there's a lot of a lot of animal animals don't fare well in Todd Phillips movies specifically the hangover movies because it starts with a giraffe being decapitated um and then also a bunch of chickens get shot <laughs> and, uh, you're, you're talking me into this a couple of dogs get their neck snapped it's, oh. it's really upsetting stuff i think i might be back out yeah and the fact that uh, the fact that people were able to see these movies and dismiss them as cookie cutter you know hollywood retreads seems like you're not looking that far mm-hmm. into this movie these these movies they're todd phillips is doing things that i'm not saying he's a joe dante making gremlins too but he's doing things that uh, a comedy director with that kind of budget for a major studio shouldn't be able to get away with. And he's getting away with them and it's awesome. I do tend to like that when it's just, when you, when you realize, well, I've got a franchise here. We mentioned Joe Dante already, but I've got a franchise here. It's going to make money. The studio is going to let me do whatever I want. Uh-huh. So I'm going to do whatever I want, you know, it's, right. and somebody actually does something with that. That's always very exciting. It's one of the things I like about Iron Man three, as I've said before. Um, uh, by the way, all the animal cruelty got me thinking about a movie that you love. That, <laughs> I don't know that I love, but that sorry, I will that, talk about. That you get, I that get, other people seem not to. Uh, which is, uh, again, I, I, almost, I feel like I have what? to maybe apologize. Let's, maybe let's end on this one. Well, I like, I, I'm ready to end now. Yeah, I've got several more movies oh, to talk okay. about. So, uh, so yeah, just be thinking about that while I talk. Okay, but I, I want to, uh, yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It, you talk more about it than anyone I know, which is to say you talk at all about it and you don't just immediately dismiss it, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Okay. Uh, Teaser. A couple of things. Um, okay. Um, I'll try to limit it to just a, just a couple movies. First is a movie that no one saw, no one remembers, and I understand why. It's called Big Bully. It stars uh, Rick Moranis and Tom yeah. Arnold. Now, here's the thing. I think I need to rewatch it because okay. I watched it on your recommendation about 10 years ago and didn't care that much for it. Right. But another movie I watched on your recommendation 10 years ago and didn't care that much for was Clifford. Yeah. Which I, mea culpa, I was wrong. Clifford is so great. It's so funny. Yeah. So maybe I need to rewatch Big Bully. Big Bully is not as brilliant as Clifford, of okay. course. Uh, and the thing is, it it's a movie that I've been thinking about because of... You know, the last few years, the term bullying has become, you know, it's gotten bigger and and exploring the ramifications and the consequences of bullying. And and I saw the movie, the, the documentary Bully, 
Uh, oh, I didn't see that. It's fine. It's a good movie. Um, I feel like it would be upsetting to me. Why do you think it would be upsetting to you? Because uh, I was picked on. I don't okay. know if I was bullied, but I was definitely picked on. All right. Well, speaking of somebody who consider who considers himself to be not so much anymore, but when I was younger, I consider myself to be something of a bully. I wasn't hurting anybody, like physically. Right. But I was mean. Mm-hmm. And it came from a place, you know, overweight kid felt like, you know, overweight kid who had not yet discovered movies, had mm-hmm. not yet discovered theater. I The only thing I could do was draw and no one cares, you know, whereas my friends, they're on the basketball team. They're doing well. I've got friends that can play musical instruments. They're doing well. I've got friends that are better looking. They're doing better with with women. You know, just <laughs> yeah, like, sure. second, third grade. Yeah. Well, bag, I'm, bag I'm, talk, of I'm talking about like middle school here. Oh, OK. Um, that's probably when I was at my worst. And so my mentality was I'm going to take them down a peg because because in my mind, they had no problems. I was the one with problems and they're like, and they're pretty damn, you know, they are, pardon me, they're like the 1%. All right. <laughs> so they need to be taken down a peg because they're, they've got 1% of all the talent and all the good looks and all that kind of thing. And so I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Uh, the thing that bothers me about the, the documentary bully is that it rightfully so takes the side of victims mm-hmm. as it should. Um, but it, has no interest in hearing about why someone might become a bully as if to, as if someone just decides I'm going to be an asshole today. Right. It doesn't, right. you know, and so that's, that's a flaw with the, that's with the interesting. Film. I hadn't thought of that. That's a flaw with the film, but big bully mm-hmm. has Rick Moranis and Tom Arnold as two guys who are, you know, they're adults now they're, they're fam, uh, they have families. Uh, and they were, um, in like middle, in like elementary or middle school, Tom Arnold was like a bigger kid who picked on this nerdy little little kid. And then Rick Moranis arranges for Tom Arnold's character as their kids to be like shipped away to juvie because uh-huh. uh, he, he narks him out for something. And then he went on his way and uh, became a successful writer. And then he actually gets asked to uh, – and he's kind of on hiatus from that. And he gets asked to teach a creative writing class at his old high school. So he comes back and then he sees Tom Arnold – who is now just a total sad sack. Like he's had like any confidence, any boldness, any even negative qualities to him has, have just been sapped. Mm -hmm. Now he's got like a wife that doesn't respect him and kids that are just mean to him. He, he also, he does shop class Mm -hmm. and he has no, he commands no respect from the children and all that. And then he discovers, oh, this new guy, the creative writing teacher, like he didn't immediately know who he was. And then he finds out who he was. He's this kid that I used to pick on. And he starts doing it again. And you see the confidence go up. You see him actually stand up to his own family. You see him stand up to his ki- to his uh, students. Mm-hmm. And you see him get this confidence. But of course, he's making this other guy miserable. And there's this really wonderful sequence in which uh, and it's during the climax. And yes, it's a little ha- ham-fisted. And we're talking about a comedy here for Pete's sake. Uh where Tom Arnold says is like they're the two are yelling at each other and Tom Arnold says we were friends and he says it sincerely mm-hmm. and Rick Moranis says like we weren't friends uh-huh. friends are supposed to like make you you know you're supposed to do stuff and enjoy yourself and he says like friends are supposed to make you feel good about yourself and then he goes oh really because then if that's the case you're the best friend I ever had that's what Tom uh-huh. Arnold says to him and it's like and that to me is such a nuanced and and 
sensitive understanding of why somebody becomes a bully. Because the weird thing is you do this to make yourself feel a little bit better. But, of course, you're also realizing you're being an asshole to people and Mm -hmm. it makes you feel a little bit worse. And so Big Bully is – in general, it's – it's it's a it's a fine movie. There are genuine moments of weird absurdity. Jeffrey Tambor <laughs> That's plays the, the next door neighbor. He's the guy who stands out to me by the yeah, movie. Yeah, who plays the next door neighbor, and he's delightful. He's uh-huh. not in very much, but he he's he's good thing. He, he's a good stuff. Um, but Tom Arnold specifically, it's one of the best performances. I think he's a good actor, um, precisely oh, yeah, because I think fan. he's very vulnerable. He's, he can be very raw. I feel like he can't help but be himself, mm-hmm. and he brings so much to that character. That I just I have a great deal of respect for that movie that no one cares about, no one talks about, and so I'd say if you have the opportunity to see it, give it a watch. Recognize it's not going to be mind blowing, but that is a movie that I get, and I think I am in a rare position to get because of the experiences that I lived, uh, the you know huh. the the way that I lived. I feel the same way about the movie Mean Creek, but people like that one. Yeah, I like me. So, uh, so that's one, and then. I will bring up uh, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which is a movie that people love, and that's fine. Uh, it's like your Sopranos, though. Yeah. Like, that is... Richard Burton is an amazing actor uh, in general, but in that, he's really doing something. And there are so many layers. I wrote I wrote this... I reviewed the, the Criterion Blu-ray, and uh, so I wrote this a little bit, but I feel like I might not have conveyed it enough. Basically, he's this guy who's he's been a spy, he's been undercover and all that, and then his bosses approach him and they say like, hey, we need you to pose as a defector, that you're actually going to go to the Soviets and we need them to believe that you will have done this. And so that's why we picked you because you've been here a while, you give off a certain vibe. And so he then – so the character starts like drinking and he starts, you know, playing his role. But there's so much complexity to the performance and the character because it's almost this like think how strange it is. It's like, hey, we needed somebody who gives the impression of being a traitor. So we came to you because uh-huh. you're the one that's most likely to be one. Like and just in that moment, it's like, all right, well, thanks for having that faith in me uh-huh. because that's the thing. There's the faith of, well, you're not a traitor. That's why we're coming to you. But everything about you seems like you could be. That's why we're coming to you. It's both a huge vote of confidence and a horrible judgment. Uh-huh. And and I feel like that – we keep talking about movies – at least I keep mentioning movies that kind of live in that tension. And I feel like Richard Burton's performance lives in that tension. He has a job to do and he's doing it. But he also recognized like this is who I'm working for, like people who have so – so low an opinion of me that they've given me this job. But then, of course, who else were they going to go to? I'm the most I'm their most loyal guy. And my loyalty has gotten them realizing that I would probably be burned out drunk and could actually betray them in the eyes of other people. Like, it's just that constantly over and huh. over. And I it, it seems to be mostly in the performance. And but when the character is talking about his country and he has to seem as though he's a defector, he sells it to me. It seems like. He might actually think these things. It is a very cynical movie and one about just just the t- – not unlike a – you know, also by Jean uh, Le Carre. I don't know how you say it, but he did, he yeah, did yeah. Tinker Tailor Soldier right, Spy. Yeah. Just the price that living this life 
uh, the, the toll that it can take on a person. Look and what they so, make us do. Look what they make us do. Damn right. Okay. I think I am done. Okay. Well, I want to, the one you wanted me to mention, I need to do a preamble because okay. we've been talking about so far is movies that we get more than other people and we love them because of it. Right. I don't like this movie, but I think it is worth talking about more than way more than other people talk about. Yeah, it I feel like is, the fact that you don't dismiss it immediately means that you get it more than most. Well, okay. If the quintessential Joe Dante movie is Gremlins 2, The New Batch, mm-hmm. then the quintessential Uva Bowl movie is Postal. Okay. And uh, it's, you know, I mean, there's a there's an antagonism and a... And a provocateurism to everything that he does mm-hmm. that's that's part of his identity um and he's always you know generally doing it uh at least for a big stretch of his career in these video game adaptations um and postal is also a video game adaptation but i don't think that's important because uh i i, I don't know maybe it is i don't know the game maybe the game does have this sort of um uh, worldview but it is uh it, it's it's not again it's not a good movie but it's so anarchic mm-hmm. and so gleefully just fuck you yeah uh that it it you do yourself a disservice to dismiss the movie you know like when he has the firefight breakout at a like an amusement park and slow motion shots of a bunch of kids getting like squibs going off and like like nine ten year old kids getting shot and killed like it's not as funny as he thinks it is right but it's also really fascinating to me that he thought it was so funny yeah and put the work in to doing that every time you talk about the movie and just hearing the way in which you talk about it i feel like Look, I feel like this is a movie I know I'm not going to enjoy, but I feel like I need to see it. Uh-huh. Like, it is every bit as personal a film, uh-huh. it, based on what you've said, every bit as personal a film as, you know, Vertigo was for Hitchcock <laughs> or something Right, it like is that. sort of a glimpse into the mindscape yeah. of its director. Yeah, and I feel like any movie that is that, whether it's good or not, any movie that is an extension of this person as a person... I feel like, ah, that can't be dismissed. But that's the thing. So many people are like, Uwe Boll, we got it. And this one's particularly batshit crazy, so why bother? But that's why you should bother. Exactly. So, And that's the thing. So I feel like we have been talking about movies that we feel like we get and thus we like. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't love Big Bully. I just, I just think I get right. it. Uh, and you certainly don't love Postal, but you get it, and you, and you give it a second look. Or other I, people, I don't even know if I do yeah. get it yet, but I get that there's something to get about it. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is, and maybe that's the most you can hope for. <laughs> so it <laughs> reminds right. me. It reminds me of. Uh, I think I might have told this on the on the show before that um, when I read uh, Catcher in the Rye my sophomore year of high school. Uh, after we were done reading it, the teacher handed out this little like survey and it was just a survey of, of response, our personal response to the book. And I don't remember all the questions. I just remember the first question was, you know, uh, what did you think? It was a multiple choice and it, and it was like, you liked it, you didn't like it, you, you know, whatever. But then there was one where it was, 
I know something is going on here, but I don't know what it is, but I like it. Uh And I remember in retrospect being so happy that that was an option Uh given to me as a sophomore in high school because it gave me permission to recognize that I'm not always going to understand everything. Right. But that doesn't mean I don't have to like it. You know? And so I feel like that's how – so, hey, yet another similarity between Catcher in the Rye and Postal. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, you said we would stop or uh, end with Postal, but I think we need to end with the one that you and I share that is very um, uh, topical, very of the moment, uh, which is the film Ravenous. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, I was like, Thor? No. Because um, you like that, and I do too. Because sadly, Antonia Bird uh, passed away That's right. um, last week, I think. Um, and uh, again, I... I get the impression, maybe it's because I just know more people, like the internet has allowed me to know more people with different uh, tastes. Like, there are more people who like Ravenous than I used to realize. Right. It used to, honestly, for years, just felt like it was you and me. Yeah. It was you first. You, like... Yeah, uh, that back, was... That was back when, it, like, uh, I actually used to take your recommendations. Now I don't take anybody, like, don't take it personally. But if you, like, put a DVD in my hand today and you're like, watch this, you'll love it, I'll probably never get around to it. Back then, I used to actually do that, and you gave me the VHS to take. I was when I was down in Springfield, Missouri. You gave me gave it to me to take home for the weekend. I was yeah. I was going home to my parents, and uh, yeah, it 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 blew me away. And it, it is like a lot of the stuff on this list, and like uh, the director Barry Levinson. It's tough to pin down, yeah, what that movie is. And um, uh, I, if there's any possible silver lining to Antonio Bird. Uh, uh, dying, it's maybe that more people will uh, look into her films and, and look into Ravenous in particular. I hope so. Um, and maybe you know, I don't get that criterion at least. It's been deserving forever. I know, or just at the very least, just like a really solid like Blu-ray release that is like you know, I, at the very least, maybe Shout Factory will pick up pick it up because uh-huh. they they do things well, like they handle things very well, and uh, and yeah, it's. I, th- I think it's a very beautiful film to look at, and so I hope it gets a really nice transfer to Blu-ray at some point. It might be on Blu-ray already, but I don't think it is. Because if it is, I think it'd be on my Christmas list this year. <laughs> um, and it is not, thus, that's, it is not yeah. on Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, and so, uh, yeah, and that's one that, you're right, it's not unlike, you know, Red Rock West, if you see it, or Joyride, if you see it, you'll probably like it. If I guess if you like this podcast, then... You're probably the kind of person Fair who enough. like it. There are plenty of people who see Ravenous and think, this is ridiculous. Like, Really? I mean, one minute it's this gory cannibal <laughs> movie. The other minute it's like a chase to the woods where hillbilly banjo music is playing. <laughs> and then the next minute it's this mystical thing about uh, a Native American legend. The movie's kind of all over the place. David, you're just selling it to me again. <laughs> um, stop pitching. Uh yeah, it's uh, and it is. It's also really funny. Yeah, um, it's got. Uh, I don't quote movie like work movie quotes into my daily life the way I used to, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of Raising Arizona, which I quote constantly without even realizing it. Um, either say that reminds me, or hmm. you got to do that. Those are the things I say hmm. from Raising Arizona. But the thing I like to say from Ravenous is. How'd that door come open? (laughs) (laughs) Which, if you've seen the movie, is a very funny line. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I feel like, because we've talked about it so much, I don't want to go really into it. It's one that I feel like, yeah, 
somehow it just because all those elements they're pretty disparate. Uh huh. You re- it really is something of a juggling act because the humor could undercut the legitimate character drama that's going on, yeah. which it is. Yeah. And which could then undercut the gore, which right. is there, which could undercut the comedy, certainly, which is still there. And just, but and also, by juggling all of it, it and, all works. Yeah. And by being, in addition to the, it's both this very sort of reali- aesthetically realistic portrait of Northern California in an 1840s winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it looks, it looks cold. It looks like there's not people for mile around, miles around. You can tell they're in the landscape, but it's also this mystical story mm-hmm. and the fact that it has this otherworldly aspect makes the admittedly heavy-handed metaphors uh a lot more palatable yeah um and there's just a sense of i can't remember which film you were talking about you're talking about ang lee just sort of like uh he's really doing the work really going yeah. for it like uh antonio bird and the makers of ravenous didn't yeah. they didn't hold back on anything and she was not the first director correct she was the she she was the second, but there was actually uh, someone in between okay. her that almost did, like the first guy got fired. Okay, and they almost hired someone else, um, whom you've heard of, and I can't remember who it is. And then Robert Carlyle, who was already cast in the movie and had worked with her on Priest, right. said, "How about my friend Antonia Bird?" And she came in and and directed it. Can you imagine being the third director on something that clearly is having production problems? Oh yeah. The, and that's another great commentary. And then you freaking hit it out of the park. Uh-huh. And yet no one uh, realizes it. And no one realizes oh. it. Two guys on a podcast 15 years later. <laughs> we should just change this to just be the ravenous podcast. Ravenous cast. We'll talk Rav about cast. other things, but we'll eventually wind up there. <laughs> so, all right. Um, well, we went way longer than I thought we would, which is, should could also be the name of this show so um you can find us at battleship um that's where you find uh links to the show other shows in the bp fleet and all the reviews including tyler's aforementioned spy who came in from the cold blu-ray review uh you can email us david at battleship or tyler at battleship you can follow me david on twitter at the pretension you can follow tyler at more lessons which is the official twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which is at more than one lesson.com what's going on over there this week well uh we just did a minisode about josh's third favorite movie of all time star wars episode four a new hope and that was a fun conversation which we were particularly nerdy because josh wow he knows a lot about star wars um yeah he knows like all the aliens names and stuff yep that's fun the ships he knows droids he knows it all um but uh but yeah and i wanted to remind everybody that um more Than One Lesson has been nominated for a podcast award in the Religion Inspiration category, and I would really like to win this year, especially because I actually just got an email from the guy who runs them. Uh, they have a second corporate sponsor, and it says, all the winners are now guaranteed trophies. It was a little iffy this year uh, because they needed to nail down a sponsor. Now okay. that they have, I want to win that trophy, damn yes. it. Yes, and we all want Tyler to win this trophy, so vote once per day per email address. That's right, yes. Yes, do that at podcastawards.com, yep. I think. All right, and my other podcast is the weekly television podcast, Hey, Watch This, with Paul and David. This week, we'll be discussing Masters of Sex uh, and whether or not that show can figure itself out by the end of the season and we'll have to wait till the next season. And also, at Paul's request, we'll be discussing Sean Saves the World, the new sitcom starring Sean Hayes. Uh, 
man, he, he's made me watch some crap. Do you ever find yourself when when Paul recommends something like that? Do you ever find yourself going full on Varsity Blues and just say, "I don't want your <laughs> life"? But you know, I shouldn't write this off. I haven't seen it yet. But the last the la- the last network sitcom he made me watch was Back in the Game. Since, since been canceled. Uh, Good riddance. It was, I mean, I'm sorry to people who lost their jobs, but uh, it was awful. And uh, so I'm, I don't have high hopes for Sean Saves the World. But I'm making him watch Masters of Sex, which is, I don't know. There's so much good TV. Masters of Sex can't seem to figure out if it's a good show or not. Hell of a Survivor season going on right now, I'm happy to announce. <laughs> well, we already talked about that. Yeah. Uh, and I and before we sign off, I did want to say, without getting uh, too specific about uh, numbers, um, I put this out on Facebook, and uh, David, I told you the other day that yeah. uh, I was checking our numbers the other day, and uh, last week we hit uh, a, uh, an all-time high for us, for subscribers, uh, mostly as a function of that uh, that top 50 horror uh episode which i anticipated us getting a boost from that but we got a higher boost than i expected which is why we're announcing the top 50 science fiction list starting tomorrow starting tomorrow we're not (laughs) doing that we'll uh, we'll do it eventually uh, we'll do it eventually (laughs) uh just give it time uh but yeah and so i just wanted to say uh thanks to everybody for your continued support uh it is it we've been doing this for six and a half years basically um closer to seven than six at this point and, no um, going back now. No going back now. But it just astounds me. It, I, I kind of was prepared to just like, all right, we've leveled off. We have hit our ceiling, and that mm-hmm. is the end. Uh, but then the listeners will often surprise me by uh, apparently recommending the show to their friends and that yeah. sort of thing. And so uh, I do appreciate your continued support. When we started this show, there was no such thing as Breaking Bad. Yeah. There's no such thing as Mad Men, is that right? Or is that the I same year? I don't think that I don't think there was Mad Men later that year, I think. Yeah. Cuz we started early 2007. That's what weird. Some other TV shows that have come and gone. Let me suggest that. Let there me was throw no this such thing there. as back in the game. God help us. <laughs> there was no, let me let me throw this out there. There was no such thing as any of the modern Marvel movies. Oh, that's There right. was no Iron Man. There was there was merely 